The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents Daughter of the Deep, Episode 1. June 1919. Pictures make me so nervous, wailed Greta. She did her best to sit in her stool, but she was clearly trembling. The beautician hid her annoyance as she dabbed makeup on Greta's face. Come off it, snapped Elizabeth. That's the price of fame. Greta sighed, and her cheeks reddened through the creamy layer of base. You're right, of course. You're always right. Feel free to spread that rumor, Elizabeth said. Now, let me have a look at you. Greta sighed, gave the beautician a half-hearted smile, and stood up. She hugged herself beneath her armpits, and glared at the sand. "'For goodness sakes!' exclaimed Elizabeth. "'You're making me nervous. Shoulders back, chin up. You're a world-class athlete, Greta. You might as well look the part.' With each command, Greta did as she was told, straightening her back and puffing out her chest. Greta was petite and linear, and her hair looked like a bundle of brown feathers." Her limbs were not mannish exactly, but they were taut and polished, as if molded from brass. Then there was her mien, soft gray eyes and cheeks as round as bonbons. All told, she was the cutest creature ever to crawl stroke. All right, declared Elizabeth. Put one hand on your hip and let the other one dangle. Oh, Greta whined, and a shiver went through her. You mean like... She followed the instructions, raising her head high. But the moment she struck the pose, Greta doubled over with frenzied laughter. Oh, really, Elizabeth, it's too much. Darling, said Elizabeth, too much is the soul of publicity. Now get moving. Greta gritted her teeth bashfully and scampered away toward the edge of the water. Elizabeth Crown ambled behind, feeling the soft morning sun on the back of her neck. A delicate breeze seeped across Lake Onagano, and the sensation enlivened every hair on her skin. She followed her dull shadow across the tiny dunes until the beach dipped beneath the water and its translucent green skin rippled at her feet. Elizabeth gazed across the placid valley and inhaled deeply. Forested mountains undulated around the lake. The canopy was a playful mix of broadleafs, birches, and evergreens. After six years abroad, Elizabeth had finally returned to the United States, and she realized now that this was the atmosphere she had missed, crisp and unsullied open and wild. Elizabeth felt that she could disappear into those woods, exploring its dark underbrush to her heart's content, as free as a snowy owl. A little to the left, said the photographer. He was a hunched little man with khaki slacks and exposed suspenders. His pork pie hat was crushed into his widow's peak, and he wore a pair of rubber boots. Despite the roughness of his appearance, 
The man knew how to work a camera. His picolette couldn't have been more than a year old, and its accordion-like body rested firmly upon a wooden tripod. Greta complied, sidestepping across the sand. Like this? That's good, murmured the photographer as he pressed his eye against the viewfinder. Elizabeth called out, Smile, damn it! Greta's lips spread across her tiny face. For such a small and adolescent figure, Greta was striking. Her swimsuit was tailor-made, a navy blue skirt with lapel patterns embroidered in silver thread. The photographer slowly raised his flash lamp. Greta froze, and the powder burst with light. The scent of sulfur pervaded the air, and a puff of smoke rose around the photographer's grinning face. If that's not a shot for Life magazine, he said, I don't know what is. Elizabeth was about to comment, but her thought was interrupted by the sound of clapping. Everyone looked over to see Calvin, standing nearby in a tan suit. When Greta saw him beaming, she blushed. You look like a movie star, said Calvin, taking the towel from the crook of his arm and raising it high so that Greta could wrap herself in it. I'll settle for a decent swimmer, said Greta, leaning into him and tapping his nose with a finger. What took you so long? Just some last-minute details, said Calvin, putting an arm around Greta. Say, who's hungry? I thought you'd never ask, Elizabeth said, adjusting the strap of her purse. I could eat two breakfasts and still have room for brunch. Calvin chuckled with abandon. I trust she wasn't too much trouble. Oh, Cal, you know how anxious I get, Greta said. I'd never have gotten through it without Elizabeth. The trio moved slowly across the sand, but then Elizabeth stopped. Tell you what, she said, why don't you find us a table? Don't be too long, said Calvin. They always run out of cornbread, and believe me, you don't want to miss it. Calvin and Greta drifted down the beach, leaning against each other like honeymooners. Elizabeth watched them vanish into the white side door of the hotel. Then she turned toward the photographer, who was busy reloading his camera. Now and again, the man looked up and smiled crookedly. He waved a work glove at her, and Elizabeth waved back. Then the others appeared. There were three of them, a woman escorted by two men. On one side, an older man wore white whiskers and a frock coat, and his bowler was pressed firmly over cottony hair. On the other side, a younger man strode with long legs. He was surprisingly tall, but his face was babyish, and his chin was lost in a bubble of flesh. Between them walked the woman. Her pace was funereal, and she stared straight ahead. They were silent and humorless, and when they reached their destination, the older man shook the photographer's hand formally, and they chatted in quiet tones. At last, they posed together. The photographer again raised his flashbulb. The photo would look lifeless, Elizabeth predicted, the kind of stodgy sepia portrait 
her parents might have posed for. Even the lake water twinkling in the background would seem flat and dour. Yet Elizabeth studied the woman. Her narrow dress extended all the way to the ground, and her voluptuous figure was clearly corseted. This was the frumpy costume of a bygone decade, and even her raven-black hair was carefully pinned up in the style of a Gibson girl. She would seem hopelessly old-fashioned were it not for her exquisite countenance. Her olive-toned face was not merely beautiful, but magnificent. The dark crescents of her brows narrowed over commanding brown eyes. Her lips were as lush as liché fruit, and her chin was flush with the narrow lines of her jaw. She did not seem Greek so much as Grecian, an ancient goddess resurrected in upstate New York. The flash powder burst, but the three figures remained stolid, unmoving, until the photographer said, Thanks, Mr. Routley. That'll do it. could stay here forever, said Greta dreamily, resting her chin in her hand. You wouldn't think so in the wintertime, laughed Calvin. His smile revealed perfect rows of teeth, which were momentarily lost behind a cloth napkin. With his urbane demeanor and fetching mustache, Calvin had always been conspicuously handsome. Maybe if... Greta faltered, looking at the distant horizon through the restaurant's window. Maybe if all this swimming doesn't work out, maybe we could find a place up here. Come now, darling, said Calvin, drawing an arm over her back and drawing her close. I won't stand for self-fulfilling prophecies. You'll do swell tomorrow, won't she, Elizabeth? Elizabeth hated being asked questions while she chewed, but in this instance, she was grateful. What should she say? Women's swimming competitions were hardly front-page news, but Samara Kechaste had shocked the sporting world. In Quebec, she had swum a 1,500-meter race in 11 minutes, a record so improbable that the judges had thrown out the results. Her promoters had made preposterous claims that Samara had swum the width of Lake Erie without stopping. 24 miles of choppy waters and dangerously cold temperatures. In Europe, they said, she had busted every record on the books. At last, Elizabeth swallowed and said, What size swimsuit do you wear? What size? Greta hummed to herself, then recited the numbers. Well, it would be a tight squeeze, Elizabeth said, but if you need a substitute, just say so. Oh, Elizabeth, squealed Greta, squeezing her hand across the table. You're too much. See, darling, that's a sign of a true friend. She'd swim the race for me. Oh, not me, Elizabeth said, laying her silverware on her plate and cracking her knuckles outwardly. I was volunteering Calvin. They laughed heartily, but attention lingered. They all knew the truth. Greta was a talented swimmer and she'd won national attention. She didn't have time to qualify for the Antwerp Olympics, 
but she was improving every day. She had won enough prize money to buy a cottage in Chautauqua. When Elizabeth had visited their home the week before, she saw walls covered in framed medals, a case filled with trophies, and photographs of Greta posing at the winner's pedestal. She was a rising star, and everybody knew it. At this rate, she was a shoe-in for the Paris Olympics, if she could just maintain her skills the next four years. Yet Samara had come out of nowhere. She was beautiful and mysterious, and her exploits seemed superhuman. Her talents hadn't been tested in America, at least not in a formal competition. Tomorrow's race would be the first, but there were only two competitors, Samara and Greta. Sometimes I wish we'd turned it down, Greta said suddenly. Her voice was solemn, her eyes downcast. I mean, what's the point if she's really that good? Elizabeth resisted the urge to roll her eyes. She shoved herself away from the table and collected her effects. Well, I'm going to get some fresh air, she said. Can I come with you? asked Greta. Her eyelashes batted pleadingly. Next time, said Elizabeth. I have to clear my head. Elizabeth stepped into the sunlight and took a purging breath. She looked both ways, saw no one, and leaned back against the hotel's clapboard wall. She drew her panacea from her handbag and sprinkled nodes of ganja into a rectangular paper, then rolled it affectionately beneath her thumbs. She sealed the reefer with a practiced lick, then let it protrude from her lips as she struck a match. The flame crackled to life, and she exhaled a stream of smoke. As Elizabeth moseyed down the path to the waterfront, the lake sparkled dazzlingly, and stray blades of grass seemed to willfully reach out to touch her boots. She swallowed the burning flavor of ganja, allowing its smoke to prickle through her until the radiant midday sun appeared to laugh with bliss. The hotel had its own pier, which extended far into the water, its wooden deck flanked by weather-beaten posts. Elizabeth so enjoyed the sensation of stepping over planks that she nearly let out a giggle. But when she saw a man ahead, she scrunched her lips and flicked her roach into the lake, where it sizzled to extinction. It was the photographer. He sat on the edge of the dock, his sleeves rolled up and his legs dangling. In one hand, he held a corncob pipe from which he took occasional puffs. The other hand plucked flat stones from a pile he had gathered. Every few seconds, he cocked his arm, whipped it forward, and propelled the stone into the water. At first, Elizabeth was amused to see an older man indulge a boyish hobby, but then she saw how many times the stones skipped across the surface. She heard a dozen splashes before the rocks sank, leaving behind as many ripples. Quite the throwing arm, she said. 
He leaned back and smiled up at her, like a proud son. I could have gone professional, he said, lifting a stone in the air, but the competition was stiff. Corny as the joke was, Elizabeth guffawed. It was a rare expression, and it felt good. Elizabeth always preferred a smirk to a laugh, but laughter relieved her. She shook away the morning's anxiety, and so she found herself perched on the pier, sharing the pile of rocks. What's your name, anyhow? Folks call me Aloysius, he said. Luckily, so does my birth certificate. Otherwise, I'd be pretty confused. Elizabeth threw a stone, and it plopped into the water, sinking unceremoniously. Aloysius didn't flinch, only continued with his flawless pitches. Do you live around here? Elizabeth asked. Yes, ma'am. Lived here my whole life. I've got a cabin just down the road. I'd invite you, but I don't think Molly would like that much. Is Molly your wife? Oh, I'd marry her if I could, said Aloysius, but the law won't allow it. How come? She's a golden retriever. He raised an eyebrow and smiled, and Elizabeth couldn't help but shake her head bemusedly. I've discovered I'm no good at skipping stones, Elizabeth proclaimed. Just as long as you enjoy it, Aloysius rejoined. Then again, the way you throw, I can't see how you could. Coolly, Elizabeth took up another stone and concentrated. She tensed her forearm, rotated her shoulder, and tossed the stone with all the force and coordination she could muster. It hit the water like a bullet and disappeared with a glug. The hell with it, she said. I'll stick to chess. I've got a feeling you'd beat me there, said Aloysius, who leaned back on his palms and surveyed the horizon. Business must be good, said Elizabeth. Every bride in the country must want to get married up here. Oh, it is. Lots of weddings, that's for sure. Especially come fall. But the rest of the time I'm a teamster. Even have my own truck. You don't say. I do say. I love anything mechanical. Cameras, trucks. I'd love to get my hands on one of them aeroplanes. I'd probably only crash one or two before I got the hang of it. Will you be photographing the race tomorrow? Elizabeth asked. Me? Nah. After a pause, his head wobbled contemplatively. Don't get me wrong, I would. I even asked. But then they told me the race was at 4 a.m. Too early for you? Not enough light, he said. And they're not even starting on the beach. Strangest race I ever heard of. Elizabeth perked up. Where are they starting, then? In a pair of boats. They're going to row them ladies a hundred yards into the lake, and that's where they'll dive in. Even if there was enough light, they'd be too far out for a decent photograph. I said that sounded like succotash, but they insisted. So, no pictures. That does seem strange, murmured Elizabeth. It'll still be dark at four, and the race couldn't last more than an hour. You don't suppose... Elizabeth hesitated. You don't suppose they're hiding something? Aloysius frowned. I don't know what they'd be hiding, unless one of them's got a built-in motor. Aloysius groaned as he pulled himself to his feet. Anyway, none of my business. I leave the gossip to Molly. Elizabeth leered. A busybody, is she? 
Aloysius crouched low, hands on knees, and leaned toward Elizabeth. He tapped his septum and whispered, She's got a nose for scandal. Then he moseyed away, leaving a trail of pipe smoke. Listening to Daughter of the Deep, Episode 1 by Robert Eisenberg. An earlier version of this story first appeared in Nebula Rift. You can read more stories like it at fictionmagazines.com. If you like what you're listening to, you may also like The Mysterious Tongue of Dr. Vermilion and other stories, now available on Amazon and Kindle. For more information about the exciting field of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net. Thank you for listening.